everyone. By now, you know this is The Blacklist, and I'm your host, Mariah, and we are finally at the end of our first ever summer film series. But when I said I saved the best for last, I was not being hyperbolic. My last film discussion is, in fact, the film that I love. It is Within Our Gates. Within Our Gates is a 1920 film. It is written, directed, and produced by the one, the only, Oscar Michaud. This is the earliest surviving film made by an African-American. It was lost to history for decades, but not very long ago, this version was found. The original English intertitles are lost history completely, and the ones that are shown are translated from Spanish and are only approximates, but I feel that I can trust this. This version is the single surviving print, and it is now owned by the Library of Congress Motion Picture Conservation Center. Thank God for them. It was found in 1993, and there's a Spanish version called La Negra. Please forgive me if I butchered that. Um, I'm really trying. And actually, Body and Soul, our last film, is his only film to survive with its original intertitles. Side note, I've checked and the National Film Preservation Society does accept donations and I've included a link in the episode bio. So if you're feeling generous after listening to this, like I did, feel free to donate. Within Our Gates stars a woman titled the renowned Negro artist Evelyn Prier. And with that, this is Oscar Michaud's Within Our Gates. So, here we go. This film is set, quote, in the North, where the hatreds of the South do not exist, unquote. Yeah, right. We fade in on Evelyn Prier, who plays Sylvia Landry, an intelligent Negro school teacher from the South visiting her Northern cousin. She sits at their dining room table, pensively reading. She's not super young, but still very beautiful, and dressed in all white, some blatant symbolism, and a contrast to her cousin Alma, played by Floyd Clements, who went on to become a politician in my hometown, Chicago, Illinois, joins her at the table. And she's a bit younger and doesn't have as many miles on her face as someone who has been through what Sylvia has. Alma is dressed in all black. This living, dining, sitting, or whatever room that they're sitting in is beautiful and elegant with like high back chairs and drapes and plants and shit. And I'm just left to wonder, how does Alma afford all of this off of alimony? Anyway, the two ladies sit at the table talking and Sylvia shows Alma a letter from Conrad, a love letter, where he thanks Sylvia for agreeing to be his wife. But he also discovered that he's being transferred to Brazil which sounds sketchy because, you know, men lie, but it is still very early in the film and he has plenty of time to disappoint me. So he says he'll send her a telegram on his next move because he wants to make Sylvia his wife within the month. Damn. Then the intertitle directly after that letter reveals that Alma is a divorcee and is secretly in love with Conrad and wants to give marriage another try. We're left to presume from all of the information given that she wants to try again with Conrad. Keep your friends close, but keep your cousins away from your fucking man. Trademark Mariah Woods, 2018. Anyway, the camera shows Alma just deviously plotting while Sylvia looks so deep in love that she doesn't even notice. It cuts back and forth between the two women who fall deeper and deeper into their states until we fade to meet Conrad, 
played by James D. Ruffin, in the jungle, writing letters. He's rocking that civil rights part in his deep body wave fade haircut. He's cute. A shorty, but a cutie. I can see why the girls want it. But then we meet Larry Pritchard. I'm a stepbrother who is also in love with Sylvia. So to recap, though we are less than five minutes in, I want to keep things straight. Sylvia is in love with Conrad, and Conrad is in love with Sylvia, but Alma is also in love with Conrad, and Larry is in love with Sylvia. You still with me? Okay, let's keep going. Larry is smooth. He smokes a cigarette on his fade-in, and the camera casts shadows on his face in all the right places. He looks a little rougher than Conrad, like he's seen some shit, even though Conrad is in the army. But he's cute, too. When we get back to Sylvia, she is still in this beautiful white dress, the waist snatched. Larry is trying to sweet talk her, and Alma accidentally enters to see this and tries to back away, but then they see her, so they all greet each other, and she walks in the room because she forgot something. But then she exits like, ooh, I can't wait to tell Conrad, and then steal him. Meanwhile, Larry is failing miserably at shooting his shot. He tries holding her hands with both of his hands while Sylvia looks away, tormented. Because she's so kind, she can't outright reject him. Even silently, Evelyn Prior radiates this ingenue energy. But she gains the strength to straight up tell Larry, I'm sorry, I don't love you, I'm engaged to someone else. While Alma listens on the stairs, then creeps away when the conversation is over. Then we meet Philip Gentry, played by William Smith. He's a local detective with way too much hair gel. He receives a telegram from another chief of police that tells him that Larry is one of the most notorious members of the underworld and he has left his home city and could be heading toward Philip Gentry. Anyway, Philip takes this and runs with it. And who does he immediately bump into but Larry, who seems so cavalier even though he's a wanted criminal? Back at the house, Alma gets the mail, sees that Conrad has sent Alma a telegram, and in an angry mad bitch huff, she opens it and reads the letter, which is illegal, but the letter is so cute. It says that Conrad is arriving on Thursday, and then it says, kisses. Aww. But instead of giving Sylvia the letter, Alma's mad ass fucking hides it. Later on, Detective Gentry has followed Larry to a card game where they all drink what I'm going to assume is the 1920 version of Hennessy, because niggas, and they play cards. But it seems at this card table that these are no ordinary people. No, these are professional gamblers, criminals, who do not trust each other in the slightest. And Detective Gentry watches from outside the window once he realizes that the card game intensifies And then a fucking shootout ensues. And all of their men, once they hear this, abandon their post to help their bosses. But by the time they get there, all the bosses are gone. So the men steal the money and the guns. (sighs) Back at the house, Sylvia awakens with the thought that something terrible has happened. She had a nightmare. And when Larry walks in, clearly having been through some shit, Sylvia swears she saw him kill a man. Girl... But then Thursday finally comes, and Conrad arrives, and everyone has on nice pearls and dresses. Alma got herself real done up for someone else's man. 
She greets him and shakes his hand for longer than is comfortable and sits so close to him and they talk for an hour while he waits and waits for Sylvia, who, I'll remind you, has no idea he's here. Conrad grows impatient and then he gets uncomfortably rough with Alma, who cries into the pillow next to her. Then he demands that she take him to Sylvia, and they peek in on Sylvia in the room with a white man, and immediately he misinterprets what's happened. But Alma set this up and has the audacity to look as if she has no clue what's happening? What a bitch! Conrad is furious, and Alma takes him away, saying he'd never understand. And then Sylvia finally arrives and runs into his arms trying to embrace him and he shoves her off several times. And then Alma walks in on Conrad choking Sylvia out and pulls him off and Sylvia cries on the floor confused as fuck and incredibly heartbroken and rightfully so. And you know Conrad has the nerve to look hurt? Then she tries to explain herself, but he just leaves. Fucking men. Alma just stands there looking so happy. It's disgusting, but also good drama. Later, back in the South, at Piney Wood School for the Black Race, Constance and Reverend Jacobs, siblings dedicated to educating African-American children, are interviewing Sylvia for a job at their school. And she walks in with a fur and a badass hat on. Beautiful. I mean, just beautiful. But then there's a scene that really struck me. It's a scene where a poor black man brings his children to school and says it's because they want to be something in life. And without school, they'll never be anything. And even though he's poor and uneducated, he'll do whatever he can to make sure they get an education. It's beautiful. It is because of this that Sylvia finds out that the school is overpopulated and underfunded. Sound familiar, America? But the Reverend hasn't the heart to turn away kids who want to learn, and the children are arriving in droves. Imagine just wanting to go to school, but the state only gives $1.49 per child to educate a Negro child every year, and the townspeople are too poor to help. This shakes Sylvia to her core. She spends all night thinking about how to uplift her race. She awakens with disheveled hair and an even more disheveled heart. But with an idea. Sylvia makes up her mind to raise money for the school, to destroy ignorance and superstition in the black community. So she goes back up north, and the reverend seems so pleased with this. So obviously he has to be in love with her now. So now we're in Boston. It's cold as fuck, as usual. And Sylvia meets Dr. Vivian, another intelligent Negro and fine as fuck, too. I have to say, I don't like the stark, like, spectrum of Negroes. Or rather, not a spectrum. They're really classifying them as one or the other. And that's not fair, because niggas can contain multitudes. No one exists in absolutes. But back to Sylvia, who looks lost and beautiful. And a strange man offers to assist her and take her to Dr. Vivian's office, where Dr. Vivian is reading a literary digest article about the campaign for the education of the black race. Sylvia struggles with her things and accidentally reveals a wad of cash, and the stranger's eyes almost pop out of his head. Then, in predictable fashion, he snatches her purse, and it's clear he's a crackhead from the way he's running. 
But she screams so loud that it alerts both the police and Dr. Vivian. And it's Dr. Vivian who catches him and gets Sylvia's purse back, and the thief is arrested. Sylvia is grateful, and she still looks beautiful even after all that running. They go back to his office and talk about her reason for being there. Then we meet Geraldine, a Roseanne lookalike from the 20s, if you will. Geraldine hates women's suffrage because of black women. So remember when you call white women allies to take that shit with a grain of salt. Geraldine, which just sounds like the name of a racist, like Courtney Ann or Scooter or Brad or Donald. But anyway, she reads the paper and sees that there's a vote to strip Negroes of the right to vote and gets excited by the idea. While later, Sylvia, who naively thought that she would be able to, still has not come in contact with any of Boston's wealthy citizens to plead for their money. And homegirl is sitting on a park bench, distraught. And then, out of the goddamn blue, she tries to save an unaccompanied child who's about to get hit by a car, and she gets run over by a car. First of all, I'm 90% positive this child had on no shoes and no coat in the dead of winter, so his parents are deadbeats. But also, the child has no self-awareness, and the fucking driver didn't see a literal child in the middle of the street, and who leaves a child alone to walk into the street? Never mind. They drive Sylvia to the hospital, and the passenger that was in the car that drove over Sylvia was Elaine Warwick, which just sounds rich. So Elaine later visits Sylvia in the hospital to hear about our cause. And Sylvia tells her that the Pineywood school will close without $5,000 in 10 days. My good sis Elaine is wearing a fur, a Beyonce formation era hat, and a monocle. So you know, this ain't nothing to her. She got money. And Elaine says she'll see what she can do to help Sylvia because Sylvia kept the telegram from her, hoping that a situation like this would occur, probably. And she's excited. Then we go to Elaine's nice-as-fucking house. I mean, she has a double staircase and a fireplace that's probably as tall as I am. Elaine's interested in the cause and wants to help in any way that she can. Later, Sylvia and Dr. Vivian flirt and get a little handsy with each other while Elaine goes to Geraldine and tells her Sylvia's story and asks her for help. But why doesn't Elaine know or care that Geraldine is a racist? Because she's open as fuck about it, saying that it's a mistake to educate blacks because thinking would give them a headache, probably because it gives her stupid ass a headache. So now she just is spewing racist bullshit about keeping Negroes in their place and getting all in Elaine's face and shit for no reason. And then we travel to Old Ned's church service, complete with church hats. And Old Ned is talking about how education is a sin that black folks need to avoid to get into heaven. And the church people are eating this bullshit up. And this is how generational ignorance starts. One loud, dumb nigger manipulates people into looking for the light because someone did it to him. And he is really going, jumping all over the stage And he gets that evil look in his eye while asking for the offering money, looking like a goddamn criminal. The wigs in this scene are so poorly done, it's comical. It kind of reminds me of Eddie Murphy in The Nutty Professor when he played his entire family. This whole church scene is fucking hilarious. Because while he's asking for money, old Ned reveals that someone has stolen money from the collection plate and asks the thief to stand up and give the money back. 
and 90% of the congregation stands up and lines up to put money back into the collection plate. Then Ned later goes to see his white friends who ask him his opinions on the Negro vote that's happening, which they are firmly against. And this Uncle Tom ass nigga agrees with them, saying that Negroes need to know their place, saying that all he needs is Jesus. But he says more Negroes than whites will rise up into heaven. And then fucking plot twist that I was so excited about and I did not see coming. He was code switching. And as soon as he leaves the room, he reveals that he actually hates white people and is actually going to hell for selling his birthright to these assholes. He's one of us. One of us. One of us. It sucks that he thinks he's going to hell, though. Then we go back to the white ladies. And Geraldine is still talking. Isn't it crazy how long racists can go without taking a goddamn break? It has to be exhausting. Elaine tells Geraldine that she cannot give in to her way of thinking and that she believes in Sylvia's cause. And this part kind of made me cry. Elaine says she's going to give the school $50,000 instead of the 5000 that they needed. And Geraldine's ugly racist ass looks shook as fuck and storms out. Reverend Jacobs gets a letter from Sylvia saying that Elaine will help. Meanwhile, Dr. Vivian and Sylvia cozy up, but with her goal achieved, Sylvia goes back to the South. But who hits on her but Reverend Jacobs, who tries to get her to marry him, but her heart is clearly with someone else. This woman has had two marriage proposals in less than 45 minutes of this film. Then finally, we get back to Larry who devises a plan with another crook to dump some money on some unsuspecting black folks. And then he runs into Sylvia, who has mastered the art of looking away when men talk directly to her, holding herself just out of reach because she's polite. But then she has to straight up tell him that the good that she's doing at this school is for our people and asks him to not return. And she calls him a thief and a murderer. And he tells her, that she'll do what he's asking or he'll tell the whole school the truth about her. She cries and struggles with the decision. And later on, as thunder and heavy rain rage outside, she naturally sees this as an opportunity to go outside. She has nothing to do but flee. And so she's on the run. Then we travel back with Larry to his stepsister, Alma, who reveals that the cops are looking for Larry while Dr. Vivian is searching for Sylvia and Larry returns to ceiling because he's broke now, but he's being watched like a hawk and gets into a shooting match with Detective Gentry, who shoots his dumb ass, and he somehow manages to stumble away and runs into Dr. Vivian, who treats his wounds where he meets Alma and she tells him everything. Her plan to steal Conrad from Sylvia, everything, literally everything. She comes clean because she feels bad, but then... We finally get Sylvia's story. So, years ago, Jasper Landry, a man without an education or a vote, and Sylvia's adopted father, earned enough money to send Sylvia back to school where she'd been studying. They lived on a basically a plantation owned by Philip Griddlestone. So his gossipy servant, Ephraim, tells him that the Landry gal, Sylvia, has figured out how to get Jasper out of the sharecropping debt cycle so that Philip can't cheat him anymore. Sylvia was getting her father's finances in order, and Philip says that Sylvia's as educated as any white girl, so of course he doesn't like this. So 
Jasper got his books together and goes to make his payments. And Philip reminds him that the white man makes the law in this country. And then he punches Jasper in the face, knocking him out briefly. And as Philip tries to shoot Jasper, Jasper stops him, of course, while another white man shoots Philip through the window because Philip had embarrassed him years earlier because men have the fragilest fucking egos. And then Ephraim, who had happened to be watching this Jasper-Philip meeting from another window in pieces, taking time away to laugh to himself, looks back after hearing the shot and Philip is dead. And he assumes that it was Jasper who killed him. So Jasper knows it's a fucking rap. And Ephraim runs and tells everybody. He runs, sprints to town, yelling, gathering the white men to hunt Jasper. Like he urgently gathers men to kill another black man. So the Landrys are on the run now, running through swamps and fields because they have no choice. And the crowd to catch them is crazy. There are even children here, people with bikes and huge fucking guns like they're fucking nuts the landrys are hiding for weeks and the people are still haunting them when Sylvia sneaks back into the landry house for things and narrowly escapes ephraim is so happy to be among the crowd because he's a true uncle tom and while he's there being so happy to be a part of the crowd the surrounding white folks decide to hang him because they're bored and they haven't caught the landrys yet So they beat the fuck out of him for no reason. And his death is ruled an accident. Sylvia is spotted and followed. Sylvia's mother is found and beaten nearly to death. And they beat the child as well. And it's incredibly difficult to watch because of how committed these actors are. They wrap the noose around the heads. And and when the boy tries to escape, they shoot him. But he fakes it and escapes on horseback. But Jasper and the mother don't have the same fate. They get hung and lynched. Meanwhile, Sylvia has no clue what's going on as she's been hiding at a relative's house. But now the still thirsty blood crowd is searching for her. And the victim's brother finds her and attacks her, ripping her clothes nearly to pieces. But she fights him like an animal. And she narrowly, narrowly escapes his grasp. And then... Alma reveals that this Griddlestone brother knew that Sylvia was his fucking daughter. And now he feels sad that he beat the shit out of her. So he paid for her education, but never told her the truth. She has been through some shit. And then Dr. Vivian finds Sylvia and says that she has to be proud of this country because it's an ever-changing landscape despite the atrocities against humanity. He says... We were never immigrants. And he gives an incredibly inspiring speech about her bravery and conviction. It's so fucking beautiful, y'all. It truly, truly is. Then Dr. Vivian professes his love for her, and Sylvia marries him. The end. Holy fuck. Listen, I understand the criticisms behind this film. It isn't shot very well, but I blame that on the technology available to any filmmaker in 1919, let alone an African-American auteur. But also, people have criticized Michelle for having a lack of narrative. And on one hand, he does stuff a lot of things into this 80-minute film. And some things just kind of disappear when we get to the root of the film. 
I do not like the ending because I hate any ending where a woman rides off into the sunset with a man, especially one that was introduced in the fourth act, and especially when the woman is as strong as Sylvia and has survived as much as she has, can absolutely stand on her own. But feminism is also an ever-changing and developing landscape, so I do not criticize them for the Hollywood ending. But the most radical and captivating element of this film is something that Michelle never loses sight of. The Negro is a human being. What a radical thought. The struggle for educating African Americans, the importance of education for our race, for our survival, and for upward mobility. He presents us with white allies, white moderates, and blatant races, and it's amazing how little has changed, because history always repeats itself. The whole thing really makes me think about how incredibly difficult it would have been to have these ideas in 1919. I mean, think of all the barriers he had to break through. The censors, the studios, the southern audiences, probably the northern audiences, the distributors. And I don't mean to make this about the man and everything surrounding the film, but what a journey. I think this film is brilliantly done, incredibly captivating, and a story that just keeps surprising me in all the best ways. Would I have liked more cohesion? Yes. Would I have liked a different ending? I've already explained my feelings on that. But I felt that this was the perfect film to end the summer on, because I think, because this film was made before all the other discussed films, it influenced each and every one of them. And it influenced many black artists and art that came after it. It's not a perfect film, but it doesn't have to be. I give this one a 10 out of 10 Evelyn Prier ingenue eyes. Thank you for listening. See you in 2019.